This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we're here on Dollars and Change, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. We're going to be talking with Bob Garrett, who's the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health Network, and Don Parker, the CEO and president of Carrier Clinic. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. And Don, welcome to the show as well. Likewise, Cheryl. Great. So, Don, can you tell us a little bit about the issues you're working on and what, what's the, the, the challenge and problem that you guys are focusing on together? Bob, you want to lead off with that? I think uh, you've, you've got a, a bigger perspective. Yeah, I, I don't mind doing that. If that's okay, okay. Cheryl. Okay. Yep. You know, Go to, ahead, Bob. Uh, just to just to uh, frame it a little bit, you know, we um, you know we looked at, at Hackensack from Hackensack Meridian's perspective. We looked at um, how behavioral health uh, issues have uh, continued to um, increase and become you know a major part of what uh, we're dealing with as a healthcare provider. Also, me- mental illness, um, depression, as well as addiction. Uh, have also, you know, grown in terms of their significance. So we wanted to be a leader in um, providing the best possible care for patients that um, had behavioral health issues and uh, mental um, illnesses. And we felt the best way to do it was to uh, partner with a um, a proven provider, somebody who's been in the uh, market for a while, who have had um, demonstrated um, great results. So uh, we did a, a long search, and we decided that the Carrier Clinic was the uh, the best uh, partner. And the goals behind this uh, merger really were that we we want to number one destigmatize um, mental health issues. We want to make sure we integrate the care because so many patients that have medical issues also have behavioral health issues and uh, mental um, illnesses as well. So we wanted to make sure that we could integrate um, the care that we deliver, and we we are we're doing that with the Carrier Clinic. Number two we needed to provide better access uh, for these uh, patients. So you'll hear from Don you know, more specifically, but we're gonna be expanding the number of addiction treatment beds, a number of addiction treatment centers, and we're gonna be introducing a new concept, uh, behavioral health urgent care, which Don will expand on as well. And then the third piece uh, has to do with uh, technology and innovation because um, we, we really need to uh, capitalize and leverage uh, technology to be able to really provide the best possible care and services to uh, to behavioral health patients and patients with uh, mental health issues. So um, we're, we're excited about it. We're, we're off to a great start, and we think uh, we can really help uh, to really change the conversation and to uh, lead in terms of uh, providing the best services to these uh, to these patients. Well, and, and Don, uh, Bob kind of teed you up for going into some of these details. So, so talk about the work that you do and how this merger is going to uh, improve that. Well, um, thanks for having us today. Uh, for, first of all, we, we've got to write a new narrative for behavioral health. Uh, we, we have been in the shadows for over a century, uh, and uh, we are at least a, a decade behind the rest of healthcare in, in both innovation and delivery systems and effectiveness of the care that we deliver. So if you, you look at New Jersey alone, where our services are based, we had 3,000 individuals die last year from overdoses. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you add in other what we call deaths of despair, uh, suicide, homicide, uh, deaths that are not due to natural causes, 
Uh, we are taking 21 years off the life of span of individuals uh, who have psychiatric illnesses. Uh, so, so that's that's a devastating uh, picture for an individual once they uh, are diagnosed with uh, behavioral health uh, issues. So, so, Don, just for um, clarity, h- how do you define behavioral health? What what counts as that? I mean, the addiction part seems easy. I mean, you you know you do th- something and you become addicted, but how are you defining those kinds of activities and actions? Well, well it's interesting, and we we have uh, emerged from mental health uh, as a uh, title for the diseases that we treat to behavioral health. Oh, and so, so it's very interesting, though. Behavioral health, really, uh, there's a connotation that you have some ability, if it's your behavior, to change it. Um, and so, so I've actually been arguing about the use of the w- word behavioral health. Haven't come up with a new one yet. Ah, uh, but okay. uh, behavioral health is, is part of the emergence from the stigma where we were, in fact, uh, uh, believed to have a lot of decision making about how behavioral health issues or mental health issues were expressed. So uh, it, it, it's a it's a broad field and includes all different kinds of mental health issues, the typical issues that you might think and result in, in care, as well as the opioid addiction and uh, oftentimes you're a danger to self or others. Uh, hence the suicidality, homicidality uh, that's involved in it. Uh, so it's a very broad scale and it's a very prevalent disease. In fact, it's the most prevalent uh, chronic disease in the world. Uh, one out of four people on, the, on an annual basis uh, need care for wow. behavioral health issues. And Bob, can you go into a little bit of um, the history? You, you use the language in the shadow of. Is it in the shadow of what we call like traditional medical care? How have, um, you know, how has behavioral health or mental health, however we're describing it, historically been a part of the medical care system and how is that changing or how do you hope to change it? Yeah, I think it's been it's it's been isolated um, and it hasn't been integrated into the medical care system. That's one of the big problems. So uh, fragmented and a lot of uh, patients who um, who have mental um, illnesses have really not been um, identified because they some of those illnesses have been masked by um, by the um, the medical issues that they have. So what we're trying to do is we're 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 actually um, um, undertaking a process of care transformation, and we're really looking at each of uh, the major diagnoses that we take care of, whether it's cancer, cardiac care, um, diabetes, and we're we're tr- we're trying to recognize um, how um, care is being rendered today, and then changing it for tomorrow so that behavioral people with behavioral health and mental health issues are taken care of. So just a couple examples. That'd be you know, great. I Thank kind you. of alluded, alluded to it before, but, um, you know, um, probably about half, half the patients at any given time in a hospital emergency department have behavioral, significant behavioral health um, issues or mental illnesses, but they're kind of lost in the, uh, in the shuffle, if you will, because, you know, in, in a typical emergency department, you have patients with heart attacks, you have patients with strokes, you have motor vehicle accidents, and, um, and, and these patients that have these uh, mental health issues are not really um, identified properly and they're not taken care of. So what Don and I have uh, talked about and what we're going to be um, doing is we're, we have a, um, a network of urgent care centers uh, throughout the state of New Jersey. We're going to be adding a behavioral health component to those urgent care centers so that these patients can be um, uh, not only identified right away, but they can be um, treated right away. They'll be access to uh, to professionals. They'll even have access to psychiatrists 24/7. Mm. Sometimes in person, but um, if it's an off hour, they'll have access through uh, telehealth. 
and uh, you know where where that's where the technology and the innovation uh, comes in. We th- we think this is going to be you know uh, not only better in terms of the outcomes that these patients will receive, but it will also um, save the the healthcare system significant dollars because going through the emergency department and then ending off maybe with an unnecessary um, inpatient admission it's very costly to the system, and we can treat these patients not only more effectively, but more efficiently in an urgent care center. And just one quick follow-up question to you there, Bob. Is the um, sort of mental health screening, behavioral health screening, going to be a a part of every emergency room visit or urgent, it, care, or visit. urgent care visit in the same way that taking other vitals, uh, blood pressure or temperature or something would be? Or is this going to be something that is um, you know, given access to or administered to individuals who meet a criteria or something that, that, like this? Well, that would be the goal is to really uh, make sure that Fabulous. we have universal screening for uh, for mental health and behavioral health issues. Uh, as I said, almost half the patients in the ER today have, have those types of um, issues or those diagnoses. So it's important that, uh, that we train our uh, personnel to do that type of screening. And we, we've started that process as well. That's part of the whole integration process of uh, integrating behavioral health and uh, mental health into the mainstream uh, medical services that we offer. And so, Don, um, can you talk a little bit about how this this approach is going to affect the kind of day-to-day work that that your team does at Carrier? What's what's it going to look, how's it going to look different? Well, let let me add a little dollop uh, to what Bob said, though, about integrating behavioral health. Great. Uh, So uh, we have a project uh, where we deploy screening into all of the pediatric practices throughout the Hackensack Meridian Health System. Uh, to date, we've screened 140,000 kids wow. uh, in that project, and we've identified 8,000 of those kids with uh, potential psychiatric issues early uh, so that we can get ahead of the, uh, the, the potential and make sure that we prevent uh, manifestation of it. So, so that's just a lo- another example of how you're going to find behavioral health integrated throughout a health system. Yeah, I have, I have a cousin, actually, who's a psychologist and working at a very forward-thinking practice, and her office is next to, like, physically in the building, the primary care um, office, so that if something is identified or suspected, or it's just a very, you know, complex medical situation that they say, hey, you know, it might help you to do, you know, to, to pop next door and see our psychologist, or, hey, new mom of triplets, you know, it might help you to pop next door. And so um, she said that seems to really decrease the barrier to entry. Um, because it's it's seen as being consistent with other kinds of medical stuff rather yeah. than well, segmented. Sort, yeah, right. it sort of maximizes the, um, if you need that extra nudge, it's like, oh, my doctor is suggesting this. It's not you know, it, it just sort of decreases, I think, also some of that psychological or stigma-related stuff. So that's yeah. fabulous to see. And what do you, what do, you do for those 8,000 kids, John? What, um... well, well, they're getting screened uh, now by uh, one of our professionals or one of our child psychiatrists or, or one of our uh, social workers or nurse practitioners, uh, and then we're developing plans for them. Uh, and then we integrate that plan into the care of the pediatrician. Uh, so awesome. that it reduces the stigma, it gets immediate access. The pediatrician who's seeing the patient frequently can really gauge, as part of their examinations, the either progress or you know, uh, uh, extenuation of the uh, illness. So, so the integration takes the walls down. Fabulous! I 
slow clapping over here. This is this is great. Um, you know, and Bob, we were talking with our past two guests about, you know, user experience and human centered design. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that is, you know, whether or not it's consciously crossed your minds, you guys are you're walking the talk. Um, tell us about how you think about your patient population and how you sort of design these services. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we always try to, to think about putting the patient in the um, in the center. And, you know, I just, maybe a quick story can illustrate That'd be the, great. Uh, the point. Um, so there's a... Uh, a we pa- didn't want to ask for stories for fear of HIPAA <laughs> violations. <laughs> we'll let you anonymize. Uh, just, just a, uh, just a uh, first name only. There's a, a, a real patient. Uh, her name is Jane. Um, she's 40 years old. She lives in New Jersey, and she's been diagnosed with uh, mental illness and substance use disorder and some other chronic illnesses as well. And she has visited um, hospitals um, in our state 77 times in the last five years, 77. She spent nearly 300 days in the hospital in um, these past five years. Her overall bill was $4.4 million. To us, that's unacceptable, but unfortunately, you know, far too uh, to common. Sure. Too common. So what we, what, you know, what we were contemplating, what Don and I are contemplating from a patient-centered perspective is what if Jane had regular checkups with the same physician mm-hmm. who understood her complex condition? What if she went to uh, one of our new behavioral health urgent care centers and consulted a psychiatrist via telemedicine instead of going through the emergency department where she gets lost in the shuffle? Now, if you scale those benefits to the 15% of New Jersey adults diagnosed with a mental illness, and, you know, from um, a, a national perspective, millions of Americans with the same diagnosis, you're really talking about a whole different experience, a patient-centered experience for, uh, for patients that have behavioral health issues or mental uh, illnesses. And, and Don, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that case, because one of the things that, you know, I'm not surprised at... The number of visits and the cost, right? Because Mm -hmm. people who go to the emergency room often continue to go, and we know how deeply expensive it is. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to get the patients who rely on the emergency rooms? How do we get them to understand about the urgent health care approach? Or or how are you going to change their behavior? Well, I, I, w- I was fortunate earlier in my career to help uh, open up a, a chain of urgent care centers down in South Jersey, and one of our tasks was re-educating the public on when do you use your doctor's office, when do you mm-hmm. use the emergency room, and then right in between those, when do you use the urgent care. Uh, and ob- obviously, we've been very successful because you can see a proliferation of urgent care centers around, oh my goodness, around yes. the country. Uh, and uh, we, we expect that we're going to do the same thing. We're going to be educating both our medical staff, uh, professionals in the area, mental health professionals, uh, educating patients as they work their way through our system about the existence of this new type of service. I think once they've used it much the way that people use urgent care center, they're going to find that it meets the patient needs. It will be patient-focused and patient-centered. Yeah, and I have to confess that I've um, become quite fond of the urgent care uh, places. There are several around the university, which makes sense because of students. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really nice just to be able to get something checked out without having to sort of have a two-week or three-week oh wait gosh. with your physician, which is often the case. Right. And this yeah. is us saying this from the position of our respective yeah. generations. Yeah. You know, well, I guess technically I can 
squeak into the millennial definition, but our students to to be told they have to wake three weeks for something, it's like <laughs> it might as well be an eternity. Um, one, one of the things, just to follow up on what Don said, and you know, we, we're going to do a major uh, marketing campaign when these uh, behavioral health um, urgent care centers open. And the first one we expect to open in May, actually, so it's just around the corner. And uh, we're, you know, that'll be, you know, print media as well as social media. You know, a, a lot of young people are using urgent care already, mm-hmm. and we want to make sure that we really, you know, target that group, particularly those that have addiction um, issues. So um, we're, we're, we're planning a, a major marketing campaign in terms of um, awareness, um, education, as Don said, as to you know, when it's appropriate to use urgent care. And, and the fact that you know, this is something brand new, behavioral health urgent care, I think, I think it will get a lot of attention. Absolutely. And, I'm, you know, this is uh, one of the joys of sort of podcasts and radio is that folks are listening to this in the privacy of their cars or homes, which seems like a, a sort of safe space for thinking about these bigger issues. What are, you know, as we think about stigma of behavioral health, mental health, even the language, right, it makes it sort of a complex landscape to navigate. What would you what do you want to tell people who are listening if you're if you're trying to reach you know, the demographics you work with, whether these are listeners, kids or friends or students they teach, what what are a couple things you'd like to change or stigmas you'd like to overcome surrounding behavioral health that we can get the word out about today? Yeah. And, and you know, Don, you might want to def- definitely, you know, make some great comments on this one. But I, I would just say right off the bat that, you know, what we what we want to say is that, you know, you you have you have an illness like um, like people who, who have cancer or, or cardiac disease or, or diabetes. I can remember you know, even 20, 25 years ago, people, you know, in and around the hospital uh, wouldn't even use the word cancer. They would use the, they would call it the C, the C disease. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the big you know, C. Yep, yep, the big C, yep. right? So, I mean, you know, so I, I, I think, you know, one of the things I would tell people is, you, you know, you have a disease and, you know, we're here to, to help you treat that disease like we would treat uh, people that have cancer and, and heart disease. Yeah, I heard it put uh, recently by someone who said, if your friend said to you, like, look, there's just blood gushing out of my arm, like there's just this huge wound and the, the blood won't stop gushing, you would never say, oh, you know, like, well, I, I hope it gets I hope it gets better. And, you know, like, hang in there. Like you'd say, go to a doctor. If that was you, you'd go to a doctor. So considering, you know, exactly. these as of equal importance and sort of necessary to respond to. Don, what would you add to that, Bob? Was- Actually, I, I think the reason that, uh, that uh, one of the major reasons that drove our partnership was access. And I think access uh, to, to care for behavioral health is a major uh, initiative to destigmatize the disease. The more we're out there both identifying it and treating it, and by the way, treating it with n- new innovations, uh, not just the medications that are available but different kinds of techniques, uh, approaches, um, medical uh, devices. Uh, Can you that give some examples us. of those? Because I'm, I'm not aware of, of that. Sure. We, we have a variety of them that are going to be uh, embedded in our uh, urgent care center. So, so first of all, uh, there's an extreme shortage of psychiatrists in today's uh, medical field, and we have been resorting to using telepsychiatry. Uh, telepsychiatry in many cases, people, or, or, or telemedicine and, uh, in general, people say, well, that's kind of inferior uh, product. I can't touch my doctor. My doctor can't touch me. Uh, so we've been striving to make telepsychiatry uh, for uh, our patients more effective. So we're using, uh, we're going to be embedding uh, a facial recognition system uh, into the telepsychiatry system. 
Uh, and so it's a Department of Defense tool. Uh, it is uh, being used now for the diagnosis of PTSD. Uh, wow. We're expanding the diagnosis uh, categories. Uh, you will ha- it has cameras in our screens that allow us to take micro-element pictures of facial expressions, half a second facial expressions that are not uh, visible to the naked eye. And then it correlates those with a bank of facial expressions that are disease-related and then allows us to get a percentage of a diagnosis through that that Holy the doctor cow. can the doctor can can actually follow that area asking specific questions and then determine yes or no on that so, the so there are micro expressions that are like associated with PTSD that's correct that you could say you know without even knowing it wow. these individuals are making wow and that, that's actually more powerful well that's the idea th- than a in person a, a very powerful in that dimension, to, to get diagnosed by, uh, and we think that that will uh, that will draw people to the uh, field of telepsychiatry as well, both practitioners and patients, uh, because of the uh, enhanced uh, capabilities that we bring to the table for diagnosis. I am so, so glad you talked about that example. Standing our city here, you know, mouths open, just uh, amazed at that opportunity. Yeah. So, so there's more. There's more. Okay. There's but more. wait, there's more. So, uh, so we we've been working now for the last two years with a tens unit for the brain. I don't know if you know what a tens unit is. It's, I don't. It's transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. I so, definitely don't. <laughs> well, you, you may have used it without knowing it. It's, mm. it's low voltage alternating current that you use from muscle to stimulate the muscle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. My sister was a college athlete. I remember these in the trainer's rooms. Yep, okay. Exactly. So so, uh, uh, we've been working with a a manufacturer who develops uh, a system for stimulating the hypothalamus. During a drug and alcohol episode and an extended psychiatric episode, the hypothalamus begins to lose function. When we either take the substance out out of a person's system uh, that they've been using uh, to offset some of the impact of the hypothalamus, for instance, opioids, yeah. uh, and they will, they will impact the concentration, endorphin production, and sleep, uh, which all uh, originates out of the hypothalamus and, and it flows through the pituitary uh, system. Uh, the system that we use is low voltage, alternating current, stimulating you twice a day, 30 minutes while you're listening to music, and then over an 8- to 10-day period, we, we can validate Im- improvement of the hypothalamus into the 70 or 89, uh, 70 to 90% improvement. Uh, and then you can sleep better, you can concentrate, and you can feel pleasure through the endorphin production process. We send you back out. We believe after an episode of that type of care, you're going to be much more likely to avoid the vagaries of relapse. Wowzers. Uh, You know, I think this also is a reminder of how medical behavioral health is. I think sometimes that's like a bifurcation that happens consciously or subconsciously. People think, you know, Mental health or behavioral health is it's you just, just it. my mind. You talk it out kind of thing. And yep. then versus like medical care where you need medical equipment and medical treatment and medical yep. experts. Right. Um, but this really does show the integration. Yeah, the application of both technology and, and medical devices to behavioral health is just starting. Uh, and so we're extremely excited to be on the cutting edge of that. And I think that that will clearly differentiate both the care that we deliver throughout the Hackensack Meridian system as well especially uh, the use of it in our uh, urgent care centers. Yeah, so, and I was going to say that that kind of treatment makes it seem very much like um, I you know, I could go for that. I can get mm-hmm. treated that way. That's yeah. something I understand. I have a little right. bit of confidence in the medicalness mm-hmm. of, of these it treatments. It can be tested. It can have 
data to support it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm yeah, just, to, just to add to that, you know, the, the, that tense uh, technology that, you know, Don was talking about, I mean, you know, it's been, you know, commonplace technology in physical therapy settings for, for years. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it, it's, it, it's not threatening to, uh, to, to patients. I mean, they're, they're familiar with it if they've had shoulder or back injuries. And, um, you know, it's the, it's the kind of technology that, you know, we couldn't have imagined years ago yeah. that would, uh, would, would have this type of application. And my last question as we come to the end of the segment here is, I'm wondering about the implications for medical professionals and what it means to be a medical professional. Because, you know, how much is behavioral health and mental health taught in schools? You know, what what do you see happening there for the future of, of, you know, medical school, medical programs? So we just opened a new um, school of medicine. God, Happy you have an answer for everything. It's <laughs> so, great. Yeah. And we are uh, incorporating this uh, as a uh, as an integral part of our core curriculum because it's important for uh, doctors of the future to understand that if you're going to treat uh, patients, you you really need to understand behavioral health and and mental illnesses because they are so um, closely correlated and integrated into. Uh, with with medical illnesses, so we are making it a core component of the medical school. And Don is actually working with our founding uh, dean of the school to uh, enhance that curriculum even further. But we're excited because not too many medical schools are doing that. But um, you know, I think we're we're kind of the model, and uh, it's starting to get some traction out there. So, so we're so sure. I, I, I want to okay. add one Go other ahead, uh, other uh, area to that. First of all, I'm going to be joining the faculty talk about this uh, as we go forward, both in the in our uh, program for our students as well as a residency program that uh, we just started this year, ultimately having 30 psychiatrists that will be training in our approach. And then lastly, we are bringing emergency room doctors in to work at Carrier for a six-month period under a program with several other hospitals and then returning them to the emergency room with capability to handle psychiatric issues. Oh, that's so interesting. And how are how are those doctors being selected? Are they volunteering? Are they? Uh, they're volunteering, uh-huh. uh, and uh, they they have an interest in this. They recognize the proliferation of psychiatric illnesses in their milieu, and they're seeking out an opportunity to get better at handling it themselves, knowing that we have a shortage of psychiatrists currently. Well, the better the better last question might have been, uh, <laughs> what kind of coffee do you guys drink? Because this is quite a list of uh, of activities, and um, I think has been a real you know a real gift to our listeners and getting to challenge the way we're thinking about treatment and to have a lot of hope for, you know, topics that uh, sometimes can seem sort of hopeless. Um, so it's great to see this stuff on the horizon. Well, and I think what's really great, too, is just the um, the depth of the integration and the innovation mm-hmm. going on here. Um, so it really makes you optimistic. You know, whenever you hear something about the opioid crisis, it's just like despair. Yep. Um, but this makes me think, there's some real opportunity here for really changing the narrative, the perceptions, mm-hmm. the treatment, and, and how we're going to address some of these challenges. Yeah, we'll have you guys back on in a couple of years when you've got impressive data and uh, great stories to tell. I mean, yeah, more way, great the, stories. We would, we would love to, Cheryl and Sandy. Thank you for uh, covering this important topic. Yeah, thank you so much. By the way, the research on our 10 June is being done by the uh, University of Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> great. So, well, we have nothing to, but love. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to have to you know close this segment out. We've been talking. Talking to Bob Garrett, who's the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health Network, and Don Parker, who's the CEO and president of Carrier Clinic, about their merger and their really innovative um, new approaches towards the behavioral health area. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Talk to you all soon. For more insight from business radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.